0: Welcome aboard to the Counter Vortex, once again with your ranter, Bill Weinberg. I'm ranting just hours after Governor Andrew Cuomo has declared a state of emergency here in New York State in response to the uh, novel coronavirus COVID 19 outbreak in the state. Now marks the third state in the United States which is under a state of emergency following Washington and California. And, uh, you know, I have to say, things are looking pretty grim at the moment. What a uh, extraordinarily bad time for all of this to be happening with the country facing this absolutely critical presidential election this year and already plenty of potential for um, political unrest, repression, and general social disaster, and now it's all been greatly exacerbated by the coronavirus panic. And, uh, you know, like everybody else, I mean, I live here in uh, densely populated Manhattan Island, New York City, uh, you know, I'm afraid of the virus, but I'm a hell of a lot more afraid of what the political response to the virus is going to be here in the United States and around the world, and what it already has been in many places around the world, most particularly China, quite obviously. People who've been following my podcast will be aware that uh, just a few weeks ago, I did a rant about the emerging global detention state, making note of the uh, incipient moves towards a concentration camp system here in the United States with the mass detention of undocumented migrants and how this is being, uh, you know, mirrored in similar events going on in several countries around the world, most notably India and most particularly China, where ironically, these two supposed geopolitical rivals, India and China, are starting to mirror each other more and more with the um, perhaps, uh, you know, uh, consolidating dictatorship of Narendra Modi. Now, moving towards um, mass detention of Muslims, particularly in uh, the states of Kashmir and Assam, in the latter of which uh, actual detainment camps are now being built. And then, uh, you know, China, it's more advanced than anywhere else in the world, where what's been unfolding for the past uh, year or so, a little more than a year now, in um, Xinjiang or East Turkestan. Uh, The uh, northwest province, which is the homeland of the Uyghur people, a Turkic and Muslim minority within China, uh, absolutely, absolutely horrific, with perhaps a million, perhaps more, now being detained in what can really only be called concentration camps. People being rounded up completely extrajudicially, without any kind of legal process whatsoever merely on the basis of their ethnicity and religion. Well, all of that is certainly grim enough, to say the least. And uh, boy, have things taken a turn for the worse. With the emergence of the novel coronavirus, where now in China, there is a staggering half a billion people who are under some degree of lockdown. It's most complete in Wuhan and Hubei province and some of the surrounding provinces, which already affects several millions of people. But even beyond that, now really throughout almost the entire rest of the country, restrictions have been imposed on uh, people's personal movement to one degree or another, even if it isn't the kind of total lockdown such as seen in Hubei. So just think about that. Half a billion people more than the entire population of the United States, and equivalent to about 6.5% of the population of planet Earth. And what's particularly instructive here is that, uh, you know, early on, back in January, when there was still the possibility of containing the virus, if the authorities in China had acted judiciously, they did not. They were afraid that it was going to, you know hurt the economy, hurt global trade, upon which their entire system depends, hurt their international image, etc., and they uh, pretended that the virus did not exist. One of the martyrs of this whole situation has really become something of a a popular icon in China now is um, the young Wuhan doctor by the name of Li Wenliang, who tried to raise the alarm about the virus way back in December before it was out of control, only to be silenced by the police, who told him to stop making false comments, quote-unquote. He continued working at the overwhelmed Wuhan Central Hospital, and uh, back in early February, succumbed to the virus, and has since become something of a a hero and a martyr for, uh, you know, netizens in China. But what's interesting is that you see this pattern where initially the government tried to downplay and ignore the whole thing and thereby let it get out of control. And then when it was out of control, they imposed the most draconian measures imaginable with half a billion people locked down and and dissidents to the government response actually being disappeared. I'm going to read from a uh, a post on my website, countervortex.org, dated February 15th. Hard to believe that we're, this is like almost a month ago now, three weeks ago. Citizen journalists and netizens in China who are critical of the government's handling of the COVID-19 outbreak are apparently being disappeared. Winning most attention are two cases from Wuhan, infamously the epicenter of the outbreak. Wuhan businessman Fang Bin was posting videos to YouTube, presumably using a VPN Virtual Private Network, which is how you get around the Great Firewall in China. Posting videos to YouTube, presumably through a VPN, to, <clears throat> quote, report on the actual situation here, unquote, with one um, on February 1st seeming to show eight corpses piled in a minibus outside a hospital going viral. On February 9th, he posted a 13-second video of the words, quote, all people revolt, hand the power of the government back to the people, unquote. After that, the account went silent, which I suppose is hardly surprising. The other is Chen Kiyushi, if I am pronouncing his name correctly, a human rights lawyer turned video journalist who built a reputation through his coverage of the Hong Kong protests last year and in late January traveled to Wuhan to report on the situation. He visited hospitals in the stricken city, Looking at the desperate conditions and speaking with patients, then on February 7th, a video was shared on his Twitter account, currently managed by a friend, featuring his mother, who said he had gone missing the day before. His friend, Xu Xiaodong, later claimed in a YouTube video that he had been forcibly quarantined. So apparently, they're using the uh, you know the virus itself as an excuse for repression against dissidents who are speaking out against the handling of the virus, although uh, most people who are in quarantine, uh, you know, are allowed to maintain access to the outside world through their cell phones or whatever. Chen Qixi is not. The New York-based Committee to Protect Journalists is calling on the Chinese government to, quote, immediately account for the whereabouts of journalist Chen Qixi and ensure that the media can cover the coronavirus outbreak in Wuhan without fear of retribution. Okay, that was way back in mid-February. It's now three weeks later. And no word that Chen kyu has reappeared. Indeed, just a couple of days after that, there was yet another disappearance when a dissident legal scholar by the name of um, Xu Ziyang, founder of the New Citizens Movement, who had been criticizing the government for its uh, mishandling of the coronavirus crisis, was uh, taken away by the police after uh, the home of a friend he was staying with, apparently in hiding, was raided in the southern city of Guangzhou. Now, despite the Chinese government's efforts to <clears throat> contain dissent <laughs> as much as contain the virus, uh, certain um, certain amount of information and uh, video footage and so on has actually been um, slipping through the censors. And one item that slipped through was horrific video footage from Wuhan of men in hazmat suits apparently dragging people from their homes to be forcibly quarantined. One Wuhan resident with an ailing father in her home was able to reach the BBC News by telephone, said, quote, we'd rather die at home than go to quarantine. My uncle actually died in one of the quarantine points because there are no medical facilities for people with severe symptoms. I really hope my father can get some proper treatment, but no one is in contact with us or helping us at the moment." So obviously, the uh, you know hospitals in Wuhan have been utterly, utterly overwhelmed. And uh, you know, obviously, we've heard about this massive sort of field hospital, which was built by the People's Liberation Army in the whereabouts of, um, of Wuhan, One hopes that it is, uh, you know, rising to the occasion. But um, I shudder to think what the facts are going to look like when finally we get a clear picture of what is happening in Wuhan and Hubei and surrounding provinces and has been happening over the course of the past several weeks. And my fear is that we may be just at the very beginning. Again, I hope to God that I'm wrong and I don't claim to have a crystal ball. But my fear is that we are just at the very beginning of what could be a global crisis. The government in Italy is now talking about locking down Milan and several other cities in the north. So this would actually set a precedent for trying to get away with this kind of thing in a Western democracy. Which brings us to uh, my fears about what is going to happen here in the United States of America in the coming months. How apropos, this just popped up on Facebook as I was talking. From AFP News Service, breaking Italy to extend coronavirus red zone to cover 10 million people around Milan and Venice. Italy is expected to take the drastic step of expanding its coronavirus red zone, placing more than 10 million people under quarantine around Milan, Venice, Padua, Parma, and other parts of northern Italy for nearly a month. A draft government decree published by Italy's Corriere della Sera newspaper and other media on Saturday night said movement into and out of the regions would be severely restricted until April 3rd. But as I was about to say about um, what I'm, uh, I'll even go so far as to say not just fearing, but anticipating here in the United States is the reaction by the Trump administration. Now, there's a real sense of deja vu here because, uh, you know, we could be at the point here in the United States that China was at back in December. And the reaction from the central government is identical, trying to downplay the whole thing. So here's a headline from The Guardian on March 5th. Trump calls World Health Organization global death rate from coronavirus a false number, quote, unquote, this is just my hunch, quote unquote, President says on Fox News, and then plucked his own surmising of a death rate out of the air. <laughs> Actually reading from the deck of uh, this Guardian article here. So, uh, you know, at the moment, Trump is desperately trying to downplay the whole thing. Everyone is saying that the everyone else is saying that the official figures from the World Health Organization, if anything, are being lowballed. Trump says they're being highballed. And, of course, what he is afraid of is that the hysteria is going to tank the economy and hurt his electoral chances. Again, very similar to Xi Jinping's response in China back in December. But at a certain point, it became impossible to ignore. And then they started taking the most draconian measures imaginable in China. So, um, similarly... Once we've actually reached that point here in the United States where the hysteria, even if not the virus, but the hysteria in response to the virus has in fact tanked the economy and hurt Trump's electoral chances, then you're going to see his line change fast, fast, fast. He's going to react like a trapped animal. And rather than downplaying the hysteria, downplaying the virus and trying to calm the hysteria and lull us into a false sense of security. On the contrary, he will be consciously fueling and weaponizing the hysteria. And my real fear is that he is going to attempt to turn COVID-19 into a Reichstag fire. Now, he has obviously been salivating for a Reichstag fire from day one. It is clear, you know, he wants to be President for life, Donald Trump, and everybody is acting as if uh, you know we 're just going to have a uh, a normal election this year, and that if you know Bernie or Biden or wherever the the democratic nominee is wins fair and square that you know we 're just going to have the the usual orderly transition that we 've been having every four years since the dawn of the republic <laughs> with the exception of uh, uh you know of course. Um, <laughs> that little interval between 1861 and 1864. But uh, I think everybody is in mass denial. I cannot imagine, even under a best-case scenario, that Trump is soundly and unambiguously defeated by whoever the Democratic candidate happens to be. I cannot imagine him just willingly leaving the White House Impossible to imagine there is going to be some kind of showdown, even in the best case scenario. And the best case scenario looks shrinkingly unlikely at the moment. Now, you know, the reason I've been uh, progressively over the course of the past four years of the Trump administration, my absolute worst fears about Donald Trump have really not been realized. And we haven't had a Reichstag fire yet because. Trump is notoriously unable to get along with his own intelligence community. And it's going to you know, take the, the cooperation of the, uh, you know, military intelligence apparatus in order to pull off an effective, uh, you know, um, Reichstag fire or auto golpe, as they called it in, um, in Peru when Fujimori sieged dictatorial powers back in, uh, was it 1992, I believe. And the good news is that, you know, once again, I don't think that Trump has quite yet realized that COVID-19 is, you know, is just serving him up precisely the Reichstag fire scenario that, you know, he's been obviously salivating for these past four years. I don't think he's quite realized it yet. That's that's the only good news. And maybe I should shut up lest I give him any ideas, although he's probably not listening to my podcast. But, you know, my fear is that at a certain point, he's going to realize it. You know, now he's still hoping that he can actually... Win the election fair and square, and he continue can continue to buoy the economy through denialism, but at a certain point, you know that may no longer be possible, and then he's going to realize that you know fate has handed him a Reichstag fire on a silver platter to you know mix my metaphors here. So uh, you know I do not dismiss the possibility that um, the elections could actually be suspended under a state of emergency in response to the coronavirus. And that even worse than that, we could be looking at, uh, you know, things get really, really bad with the deaths really starting to, you know, pile up into the four digits or higher. I know, I feel like I should bite my tongue, but uh, there's no point in denying that it's a possibility at this point, right? That we could be looking at at least an attempt by the federal government to impose you know massive lockdowns of cities and entire states of the country, obviously it's not so easy to get away with it in the United States as it you know is in an extremely closed and authoritarian system like China, but they could try and begin to you know impose an extremely closed and authoritarian system here in the United States. Something else that Trump has obviously wanted from day one, and worse yet still you know I mean my 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 darkest fears, that, you know, there's actually going to be, you know, mass roundups and so on of <clears throat> particular targeted segments of the population who are deemed to be um, at risk of spreading the virus. I won't say any more. You can figure it out on your own. So, uh, you know, these are all um contingencies that we should be thinking about. That's really all I'm saying right now. These are contingencies that we should be thinking about and preparing for and, um discussing amongst ourselves, not with a sense of panic or alarmism or inevitability, because again, I don't claim to have a crystal ball, but with a sense of stark realism and thinking about what our political response is going to be. Because this virus and people's fear for their health and fear of the contagion could be a very, very, very effective social lubricant for the imposition of a really fascistic order in this country. All right, just to get it out of the way, uh, I'm going to um, just make note of the conspiracy theories which are um, circulating around out there. It appears that the city of Wuhan is actually the site of the um, high-level Wuhan National Biosafety Laboratory, which was established by uh, the Chinese state to study the SARS and Ebola outbreaks. It opened in uh, 2017. And this is certainly a rather interesting coincidence, if indeed it is a coincidence. And, you know, the conspiracy theorists have been having a um, a field day with it, including in a uh, piece which appeared in the, uh, <clears throat> the yellow journalism rag, the New York Post, on February 22nd. Don't buy China's story. The coronavirus may have leaked from a lab. And uh, it states that um, the People's Liberation Army's top expert in biological warfare, a major general, Chen Wei, was dispatched to Wuhan at the end of January to help with efforts to contain the outbreak. According to the PLA Daily, Chen has been researching coronavirus since the SARS outbreak of 2003, as well as Ebola and anthrax. This would not be her first trip to the Wuhan Institute of Virology either, since it is one of only two bioweapons research labs in all of China. Does that suggest to you that the novel coronavirus may have escaped from that very lab and that Chen's job is to try to put the genie back in the bottle, as it were? It does to me not my words, quoting from uh, writer Stephen W. Mosher, who seems to be the, uh, the New York Post uh, anti-China propagandist. <laughs> I am noting that, in fact, this is yellow journalism propaganda here, but one, uh, one would imagine that the facts are not merely pulled out of thin air. There's probably something to it. And the uh, referenced Wuhan Institute of Virology in the passage that I just read is uh, the um, parent institution of the National Biosafety Laboratory, which is also located in the same city. So, uh, I mean, you know, I've been ever since this whole recombining DNA technology began way back in the 70s. I've been worrying about the possibility of, you know, something leaking out of a lab to disastrous consequences. I'm not saying I have any information whatsoever to uh, suggest that that's in fact what happened in China. I'm merely noting the anomaly that this lab happens to exist in Wuhan. Make of it what you will. I am not proffering a theory, I'm merely putting information out there, okay? I'm skeptical of the conspiracy theories, too, and particularly the more ambitious theories that it didn't just leak from the lab, but it was intentionally leaked from the lab as, uh, you know, some kind of a um, measure to create a crisis. I don't know with what political end, because, you know, I mean, Xi Jinping's behavior and now Trump's behavior, you know, indicate that this is not what they wanted. So, um, no, That I can uh, say that I don't buy. But whether, in fact, it actually leaked out of the lab unintentionally, I have to say I'm agnostic on that. You know, I'm not in a position to know. And uh, I don't find it completely implausible anyway. The notion that it was intentional by a warfare measure, yeah, that I find kind of implausible. But anyway, I mean, this doesn't really matter is, you know, uh, the greater point. Whether or not this came out of a laboratory... Even whether or not it was intentional, it's going to be, has been in China, and every possibility that it will be here, used to impose, you know, biofascism, if you will, a biological police state. And, you know, I have to point out that everybody assumes today that the Reichstag fire in Berlin, which happened at just this time of year, February 27th, 1933, put an end, the German democracy, and ushered in the dictatorship of Adolf Hitler, everybody assumes that it was, uh, you know, intentional provocation, that the fire had actually been started by um, operatives of the Nazi party. That's never been proven. And, you know, the uh, official story, as it were, that it was, you know, a lone communist Yahoo by the name of Marinus van der Lubbe, just acting independently in adventurous manner, It's not impossible. It may have actually been the case. I mean, if you actually look at the um, at the facts, it's never been proven one way or another. It fit the Nazis agenda so perfectly that everybody assumes that it was an intentional provocation and that, you know, Marinus Vanderloop was a was a fall guy or a patsy. But that's never actually been proven. That's, you know, a quote unquote conspiracy theory, which is universally accepted or almost universally accepted. But it's never actually been proven, and it really doesn't matter if it really was a lone nut by the name of Marinus van der Lubbe. It wouldn't make Nazism any less evil. <laughs> Do you get my point? It doesn't matter, and similarly, it doesn't matter here whether ultimately it doesn't matter here whether you know the coronavirus came out of a uh, came out of uh, the uh, Wuhan National uh, Biohazard Laboratory. It doesn't matter. In terms of what the the, the ultimate political effects are going to be, it doesn't matter. So uh, one thing I forgot to mention about China and what the political effects there could be is that, uh, you know, I mentioned early on that, uh, you know, this whole lockdown of half a billion people in China now was presaged by the the massive detention of Uyghurs in uh, the northwestern province of Xinjiang over um, the course of the past uh, going on a year and a half now. Um, well, these two um, crises could converge in truly horrific manner if the, uh, the concentration camps in Xinjiang become infected with the virus. And they could quite literally, in a matter of weeks, become literal death camps. And I should point out that the organization Genocide Watch has actually um, issued an alert for Xinjiang, or East Turkestan, as the Uyghurs call it, that with the mass detention of perhaps a million or perhaps more ethnic Uyghurs, China is potentially preparing a genocidal solution. And this could now quite literally be upon us. This could be quite imminent. If, heaven forbid, COVID-19 finds its way into the concentration camps in Xinjiang, they could literally become death camps. And, you know, it's really incumbent upon anybody who uh, cares about human rights to be watching what happens in China in the coming weeks and months very, 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 very closely, indeed. And unfortunately, you know, from people who consider themselves progressives, all too often you point to horrific human rights abuses like this, ghastly, absolutely ghastly, draconian atrocities taking place in the People's Republic of China, for example. And um, the immediate response is to relativize it by saying, well, what do you think our government would be doing here in the United States in response to, you know, uh, a virus outbreak or, um, you know, a, a terrorist movement, blah, blah, blah. And I just do not understand this response. That's exactly the goddamn point, is that when you know Xi Jinping can get away with doing this kind of thing in China, it's, it's a precedent which is going to be emulated by despots and wannabe despots elsewhere in the world, including here in the United States. Thank you very much. So don't you worry. Your silence about the mass detention in China could ultimately be paid for here at home in the United States. And I'd love to know whatever happened to the notion of international solidarity, which is what, you know, progressives and people of the left, used to stand for, and increasingly, they seem to be on the side of, you know, narrow nationalism and rallying around despots. So yeah, this chicken could well be coming home to roost, and what Xi Jinping has been getting away with in China, first with the mass detention of the Uyghurs in the guise of anti-terrorism for the past year and change, and then with the massive lockdown of half a billion people as a measure to contain COVID-19, this could well be setting a precedent for measures which could be imposed in Western democracies, including our own, if you can still consider the United States a democracy at this point, which is getting more dubious by the minute. So my fear is that in 2020, we're really going to find out if American anti-fascism You know, the proud anti-fascist tradition in this country has really got any backbone left. My fear is that it is really going to be put to the test in the year 2020, and that the moment has really arrived for us to start thinking very, very seriously about how we're going to respond to the kind of contingencies that I've been discussing, about what it is that we really stand for. And of all of, you know, our principles of, uh, you know, freedom and social justice and all this other stuff that, you know, we American progressives supposedly believe in is really up to the test. Or if it's all going to be swept aside in mass hysteria about a deadly virus, be in touch. Tell me what you think. We need to have this conversation very, very urgently. This has been The Counter Vortex with your ranter, Bill Weinberg. Check us out online where everything I've been saying has been documented countervortex.org. Join the countervortex, join the resistance, and rant on you next time.